Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. For episode nine of the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast, I'm really happy to have someone with us who has owned her own martial arts school over the past 20 years, has raised a son in the martial arts through to multiple black belts and across multiple disciplines of martial arts. Um, She is an author and has been in the spotlight many times for her expert advice on parenting and how that relates to the martial arts. So welcome Amanda Olson, Master Olson, better known as Master Mom. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. (laughs) We always start these podcasts off by asking people where they got their start in the martial arts. And I I think you've said many times in in interviews and written about how you got your start at age 10, I believe. Right. That's right. And that was at your your parents' martial arts school? It was actually before that. It was in Panama City, Florida. That's where I'm from. And uh, my brother, who is my younger brother, he's eight. And my parents is like the very first martial arts school that opened up in the area that would accept children, they signed him up for lessons. And um, me and my mom and dad were watching him and they had adult classes. And my mom said, well, that looks like it would be a lot of fun. And so she did it. And so then I was, me and dad are sitting there and I'm like, well, I'd like to do it, you know? And so I signed up and dad said, well, I'm not going to sit here by myself. So he joined in too. So like within a week, all of us joined the classes, but that's kind of how it got started. And, you know, a couple of years later, when I was 12, my dad wasn't even a black belt yet, but he knew he wanted to be a martial arts instructor. He just fell in love with all of it and it made him feel so good. He got so much from it just like so many instructors, they want to pass that on. So we moved to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and he and my mom opened up uh, the martial arts school there. You know, from age 10, I was training with our instructor. And then at age 12, I was helping my dad and mom in the business. And, you know, every day after school going there, and we lived only an hour away from our instructor. So we could still go there and train and keep up on all that skill set. So uh, it's definitely been a part of my life since I was 10. And it's something we did as a family together. My dad is still teaching. My brother is still teaching. So um, it's just a, a neat legacy for my father to see his grandchildren teaching is pretty exciting. That's amazing. That's um, <laughs> yeah, three. We're on the third generation of instructors right now. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> something you said reminds me of something that I've heard from several martial artists who trained, let's just call it back in the day. So Uh it was, is it fair to say kind of during the Karate Kid era? Yeah, we started, um, we started training before that time. My dad opened his uh, studio in, I think it was 1979, no, 1980. And so Karate Kid came out like right after he opened and it was boom. (laughs) It was like, oh wow, kids can do this, you know? That's what I wanted to to ask about because what I know about martial arts in the 70s um, or or earlier, at least the popularization of them, they were very much geared toward adults and very Mm -hmm. much geared toward a, almost had kind of a fear tactic. So you'd see an advertisement where they, are, is a stranger going to mug you or something? Well, take karate and you'll be able to take care of them. 
nowadays we're in an era when you almost associate martial arts training, at least the begin introduction to it with young children. And what, mm -hmm. what do you think has shifted? Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting because as a student myself from age 10, you know, seeing that you know, there weren't that many kids in the class. And that's, you know, that's what I mentioned about when they opened up the first school that would accept children. There were martial arts schools in Panama City, but they didn't take children, you know. And so the first one that did, you know, my parents wanted my brother to experience that for confidence issues, which he's very much overcome, by the way. <laughs> so, but uh, I think that what what shifted, I think the movies did help because it wasn't the... The Karate Kid movie itself was not about the the fighting. It was about the internal development. You know, it was like, no, you don't get to go to a tournament or compete or do anything like that until you have some discipline. You know, until you, you know, and whenever you use your martial arts skills to hurt others, then you don't get to train anymore. You know, so you've got to get that discipline down. And I think that that was like, Wow. I think that was the biggest impact probably of that movie that people don't really think about was that it takes uh, proper discipline and parents would need help with discipline and self-control and all of that with their children. And it's just a, a great, great avenue to help them do that. The parent who comes in who has uh, a child who is just generally speaking undisciplined, un unfocused, or wants to run this way when you need them to face forward. And what's one of the first things that you look at as an instructor or looking over your team of instructors? What, what do you have them look at and say to the kid? What's the introduction? When I was younger, talking about this in front of the parent was difficult, but I've, I've kind of gotten to the point where I realized that the parent wants somebody to tell their child to stand still and they want to see that they can listen, you know? And so just like you would that child that um, has been with you for a while, who is undisciplined, you know, shows some, they're not paying attention. And you say, sir, you're supposed to stand at attention. And you know that, you know, and then they usually straighten right up, you know, but the new kid that comes in, <laughs> you know, I would encourage uh, instructors to, to treat them exactly the same. Say, sir, we can't begin our lesson until you stand at attention like a black belt. And just do that right, right in front of the parents. Just be yourself and, and do that and require them to be perfectly disciplined in front of you. And that they cannot progress to learn the next move or the next lesson until they show that they can show that self-discipline. And they're usually very excited about doing a martial art, so they, they comply. And then you can talk to the parent immediately and say, this is the behavior that we're gonna work towards and we're gonna help you and work towards that at home. I know our schools are very similar in that we require three acts of discipline to earn your first belt. And we work with the parent to, to make that happen. And most times, most times they go home and the child is doing the, what they're told the first time and the parents are just amazed. So then they ask, how do you do that? And that's really the, the question of how, you know, I haven't been able to get my child to sit still. How did you do it in 60 seconds? The, the advice that I give to parents in that situation is the reason that they aren't complying is because they have no reason to. 
there's no consequence. You know, if they don't, if they don't listen and nothing happens, then they're going to continue to do that. Or if you tell them over and over and over and over again, and by the 14th time, then you do something. Well, they're okay with that because they got away with it for 13 times before, you know? So I tell the parents to give, you know, if you're trying to correct a behavior or stop a behavior, uh, explain to the child, this behavior is not acceptable. Here's the consequence if you do it. They get one warning. They didn't sit still when you asked them to. You give them the one warning. And then if they do it again, there's the consequence. And that is what I teach my instructors to do while they're teaching classes too. You're allowed to give one warning. A child, you told them to do this move on the bag and they decided they wanted to do something else. You know, well, when they sign up and enroll in the, in the program, they already know there's consequences if they mess up. You know, they learn that very quickly. So they've already been told that this is allowed behavior, this is not allowed behavior. And when they step out of that line, they get that one warning. And then for us at the school, it's timeout is the consequence. You know, I encourage parents just to do that at home and, and stand strong with that. One warning, then, then the consequence. I had a parent the other day, she was telling me, she goes, I put him in timeout, but he won't stay in the chair. He keeps getting out. And I said, how many times did he get up before you stopped making him go back to the chair? And she said, three. So he knew, he knew that if he just kept doing it, eventually he wouldn't have to sit there. And sometimes that's the hard part is that the parent has to be more disciplined <laughs> than the child. You know, like I, I said, if it takes 15 times for you putting him back in that chair, for him to stay that two minutes to sit there, then you got to keep doing it. Don't give up. Do the consequences ever escalate? Is that ever important? They have to be very specific to the child. In my experience, most children, you don't have to escalate. You know, there's a difference in somebody who's unfocused and is trying to learn how to you know, stay in control and then somebody who is being willfully disobedient. You know, so willful disobedience does require a little deeper, harder consequence, you know, especially after they've done it the, the first time. They willfully disobeyed, you put them in timeout. They did it again, might need to find a, another consequence. So here at the martial arts school, if we have a, if that we have that situation, what we do is we actually uh, take their belt away. It's a pretty severe consequence. They're still required to come to class, but they can't earn any stripes. It doesn't take very long for that to to turn around. When you're at home, you know you have to kind of figure out what is it that motivates your child to do good behavior. One of the things that um, I remind parents is it's not always about what do you, a privilege you take away. Sometimes it's just about, they like to get under your skin. <laughs> so if you just don't let them do that, you know, they lose all the fun, all the power. I mean, that's why people pick on others and bully. They just want to pick and get a reaction. And we forget as parents that kids can do that to us. And we get, we get upset and we, you know, you know, get all flustered and they're like, they succeeded. So sometimes it's not taking away a privilege, but just a non-reaction. That's really interesting. I, I've seen and be, been very impressed by that, by karate instructors over the years where watching from the bench where I'm sitting and observing some behavior, whether it's my own kid or someone else's, and they talk back to the instructors on the floor. <laughs> 
and I kind of, that's something that would never just from my nature kind of never occur to me to do. Right. I have a little gasp, but the reaction from instructors has always been very staid, just very poised and exactly what you just said. They're, they're not unnerved uh, by what a student is, is saying to them on the mat. They just say, here's what I expect you to do. And I, I had a conversation with a instructor who is pretty young even now, but he was talking about when he was very young, five, six, seven, eight, and at his first tournament experiences. And I said, what was that like? And he said, well, I would cry. I would just go up in front of the judges and I would burst into tears. And he says that now without any kind of embarrassment or shame or anything. And he talks about what he learned from that. But I know you've talked about in your books and in interviews about the importance of allowing kids to show their emotions in different contexts. And can you talk a little bit about that? How does that work with the discipline and keeping still and keeping yourself composed? Showing emotion, the the time that I see parents get the most upset when their children show emotion is when they're in public. Whether it's here at the school or at a tournament, like you say, or at the grocery store, you know, wherever they are and they're showing that temper tantrum or crying because they didn't get a toy, you know, or, or whatever the situation is, or fear because they're in a competition setting or they lost the game, <laughs> you know, um, all, all of that stuff. I would tell them to, that's okay to feel that way, you know, like in losing or being afraid. Let's hold it in and when we get home, we'll talk about it and make sure you give them that opportunity we can talk about that in a, in a very calm and open way and say, everyone has those feelings. Everyone gets disappointed. Everyone gets afraid. You know, here's how we want to handle ourselves in front of people, you know, when that happens. When we get home, we can take a few minutes to cry about it or, you know, let it out or however you cope. But in front of people, we want to watch ourselves. And when it's in terms of uh, disobedience, if a child is acting out and showing, you know, just, I don't want to, and stomping their foot and, you know, those kinds of things. Again, what, what motivates a parent to get upset is they're embarrassed. You know, I, I, I get it, <laughs> you know, so I, my advice is to just remember that one, you're not the only parent in the world whose child has acted like that in public. Everybody knows, everybody has experienced it. You know, and to give the parents, you know, here's what I tell them to say if their child's doing that. Just look around at the people around you and say, this is something we're working on. And everybody can appreciate that. I, I saw a little guy in the store the other day and the mom said, quit your crying. You know, and that's a natural reaction for anybody. You know, stop, you're embarrassing me, that sort of thing. But it really is better just to ignore it you know, and say, I know you wanted that toy, but we can't have that. Let's go, you know, and, and leave it at that. And they'll just sob along behind you. Let them sob along behind you, you know, and if you feel like there's other people looking or staring because they're kicking and screaming in the cart, say, I know, I apologize. We're working on this, you know, and just kind of laugh it off. And every parent will be more appreciative to hear, oh, they're working on it. We're all working on it. You know, she's aware her child's out of control right now. <laughs> you know, you don't have to pretend like it's it's not happening. 
That's great. <laughs> it is tough. It is. It's, it is. I get it. You know, the a kid says here at the school, you know, and, and they'll come in and these are the newer, the newer ones, as in every school. Mom says, get your bag. And they go, you get it. <laughs> you know, just who oh, we're working on some real deep stuff right there, you know, but if mom just grabs it and gets out because she's embarrassed, she really missed a big teaching moment. Sometimes I'll step in if I see that. Say, well, wait a minute. You know, Johnny, what's, how do we talk to our mom with respect, right? So if she tells you to get your bag, what are you supposed to do? And, I, and then I would look at the parent and say, you know, it's okay. We're all working on it. That's really interesting cue to me because I, I can say from my own experience, I felt coached before I was even a student of martial arts because my kid was in martial arts and I had so many of the experiences you just described where I'm going, how, how do I handle this right now? And an instructor would step in just as you did and say to my kid, hey, now, how should we handle this right? And it was this kind of intervention that helped me enormously. And we both got in the car most of the time, the instructors are not coming home with us. So right. <laughs> parents have to learn, what what have I learned through this experience? And what can I bring home? And I think that that's really enhanced when I got out on the mat and earned a white belt and began to progress too. So it, as a person whose whole family is very ensconced in the martial arts, what are some things that you remember about being a mother of a young young kids who are training and some do you have any stories from your own experience where that relate from to my own kids or me as a kid <laughs> either let's start with you as a kid what do you remember your dad saying <laughs> well you know i i always called my parents you know mr or miss at the martial arts school never was mom or dad and there was always that you know, when you put the uniform on or you were in class in whatever capacity, then you were the student and that was the role that you had, you know, and you would never act like a, like a child in class of your parent. I don't know why we complied with that so easily, <laughs> maybe because we were already, you know, martial artists before that you know, dad was the instructor. We treated him just like our, we treated our instructor, you know. And then when my kids started, it was really just the same. You know, we just said, now when you're in class, Mr. Olson, you know, Master Olson, that sort of thing. And uh, we want to, you want to be a Taekwondo student. That's what Taekwondo students do. But my, and my daughter, you mentioned my son, but my daughter's also a third degree black belt. And she works here at the academy. She was around three years old and she had just started in our you know, preschool program. My husband was the instructor and she wasn't listening and she was, you know, uh, twirling around and not doing what the other kids were doing. And uh, he went up to her and he said, now, Katie, he said, you need to listen. And she didn't. And so he went up to her again and said, Katie, you have to go sit and time out because you're not listening. Well, that broke her heart. <laughs> she just did not realize, you know, it took, it, I don't think she realized dad was the instructor now, not dad, you know, she's only three. <laughs> but I just remember that story. He was like, oh, 
it just broke his heart, but he had to stay in instructor mode, you know, he couldn't melt for his own kid and not, you know, for somebody else's. So there's a, there's the other side of that too, is as a parent maintaining who you're supposed to be in that role. We, I just, you know, as I look back on my childhood with my parents in martial arts, we had a great time. It was a great family experience, all the things we did together. And then same thing for my kids. I homeschooled my kids because of our martial arts schedule, you know, teaching in the afternoons, which gave us a lot of freedom to travel and do tournaments and all that kind of stuff. So all those lessons, like you talked about being in front of people and being afraid or losing and crying in front of people. Uh, my son tells a story of he, uh, when he was about 10, cause he had been competing a long time and he, he had a difficulty. He would cry whenever he lost. And at the tournament, at that tournament, uh, I went up to him and I said, it's time, time to stop crying when you lose. And he's, he tells me now, you know, he's 31 now. And he says, I remember that so vividly that, oh, I'm, I don't cry when I lose. Okay. I got it. You know? And, uh, I, I just think that that's a really powerful thing for us to remember as parents, not just instructors, but, you know, your kids don't know what's, you know, I lost, I feel sad, I should cry, you know, and if you tell them this is the, the way that you should behave, you know, most of the times are, it's learning. Yeah, you have to remember, you have to teach kids how to do jumping jacks. So why shouldn't you have to teach them things like sharing or you know, how to keep your emotions in check and, and that sort of thing. My dad was a very hardcore, tough instructor. There were lots of push-ups involved. <laughs> so, uh, and it's fun to, for me to watch him because he's, he's 75 now. And to watch him teaching four-year-olds, I'm like, that's not the instructor I remember. <laughs> you know, I remember the drop and give me 50, you know. But uh, I would be in class training under him and I would be so mad. I'd be like so mad at my dad for making us do all of these push-ups and all this, you know, I was sweating and breathing heavy. I'm like, why are you doing this to his dad? You know, that's what's going on in my mind. I never told him that until years later after I'd grown up and moved out of the house. <laughs> you know, I still kept, I still kept coming to class, but you, you can't help but have a little bit of that personal. I would never be mad at my instructor for making me do push-ups, <laughs> you <laughs> <What> know? <laughs> Was there a, a, a moment of, not a moment, but but a some period that you can recognize in your life where you did recognize the value of that, the discipline that he imposed? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, as I got into high school and you are around uh, a lot of different people than you are in elementary school, and there's a lot more freedom and people are doing things, you know, risky behaviors and all kinds of stuff in high school. And that was never a temptation for me. You know, I was an athlete. I was a martial artist. I understood the benefit of living a healthy and self-disciplined lifestyle. And to watch your friends at that age just head down some really uh, destructive paths it was very clear that I had been taught and even I would even say saved from those type of, you know, desires to do those risky behaviors. And remembering that, that's where I gained 
confidence as a parent when my children were going into that to stay on them and not let them know you don't get to go to the mall on a Friday night when you're 13. That's <laughs> not happening, you know, and, and keep them uh, disappointed discipline and focus during those years and and for them to come back and tell me thanks for being a you know not letting me do those things it's it's easy to see on the other side but you don't want them to have to go through uh, those bad choices you talked about trusting not just your own instincts but trusting your kids to other instructors in your school as they were growing up were there ever any times when you looked on their development, just their progress through the martial arts as working to earn their black belts? Were there ever any times when you went, I, I don't know, I'm a little anxious. I'm a little afraid that maybe this isn't going to happen or there's some failings here or what helped you keep the faith that that they would make it through and earn their black belts? That's a very good question. And I think a lot of parents have that question, whether they're involved in martial arts um, themselves or not. You know, I think you have to be willing and prepare yourself that there will be times when your kids fail, when they go for a stripe and they're not prepared or, you know, they didn't they didn't fulfill the requirement. And that is a very important lesson. Failing is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Passing when you're not ready is a much worse thing that could happen to you. We want to protect our kids so much. We do them with disservice. You know, if you're there as a support when they fail, that's what they need. They don't need us to get in the way of that. You know, watching my watching my kids, they'd spar and they'd, they'd get hit just like any other kid. I would want the instructor to handle it the same way they did with any kid. They would, you know, not be able to break their boards or they would get up and do a tournament and forget their form or, you know, all of those things that every kid goes through. And it's just part of the learning process. And I saw that I taught, I was an instructor long before I had kids and, you know, seeing that wonderful process, you know, I never had a student that, that failed a black belt test who didn't come back and get it after all these years, I have never had that happen. That tells me more than anything that failure will make you stronger. And I don't want anybody to fail. I mean, it breaks my heart too. I mean, I'm, I do everything I can to help prepare, you know, but sometimes it's just not your day. <laughs> to have seen that as a martial arts instructor, that lesson revealed before I became a parent made it very simple. I really didn't have any problems, you know, or emotions or you know, over the top feelings as watching them progress because I knew it was so good for them because I had seen it be so good for people before them. And quite honestly, as a child student myself, I knew what it had done for me. You know, I didn't win every time, but I never quit. <laughs> That's awesome. When you mentioned board breaks, that for me, when I witnessed the board breaking at the closing day of the first black belt test that I ever witnessed. That's a requirement that you break the board you brought. And while that may not sound like much to, for someone who's been training to become a black belt for four years, well, you can break a board, right? This is after three days of very intense testing. 
and exhaustion. And some of the students are five, six, seven years old and haven't quite experienced that kind of a, a draining, uh, exhausting experience like at a black belt test. And so to see, okay, the very amped up energy in the room break this board. Some of those boards snap right away. Some of them, the room goes quiet and there are hundreds of people watching. And mm. I have had very poignant moments watching people try over and over and over to break that board. And let me tell you, they always do. It is unbelievable to watch that board snap in the emotion. Oh, I'm getting emotional thinking. About it. I mean, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. The, everybody just, oh, you know, they're cheering and, you know, there is a lot of emotion. <laughs> It speaks to me along the lines of what you said about failure. Failure to break that board isn't a condemnation. And it's just that it's just putting the board away and allowing you to to pass without breaking it is is the real condemnation. And and yes. that's what they earning a black belt, that's what it means. That's part of what it means. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, I, I mentioned too, when that happens here, you know, cause I want the parents to un- get the lesson from that too. And the, and the child and everybody in the room, really, cause we all can hear it over and over again is this seven-year-old got up here in front of hundreds of people and never gave up. You know, he had the support of everybody around him and he never gave up. Was it hard? Yes very hard. But the great thing is, is that now we all know, and more importantly, he knows, no matter what he does from here, if he doesn't give up, he's going to get it accomplished. And that, I said, he'll have that the rest of his life. So today he struggled in front of a large group and he's okay. And he's going to know that in the future, if that happens again, he'll get through it and he'll be okay. Because it will happen again. Maybe not with a board, but with an exam or a relationship or anything. Yeah, it's an incredible lesson that isn't just on paper or like an aphorism. It's something that, like you said, you're in front of a crowd and you're experiencing this and experiencing having overcome it. And so I think some people wonder, why does it take years and years of of training you watch kids go from when they start pretty young it's unbelievable just the development biologically you know physically uh Mm -hmm. happens to kids over three four five six years as they work their way through second degree black belt how much they they change you can just see it Mm -hmm. but how much they change inwardly and their emotional growth and everything is monumental it, it is. It's a, it's the greatest joy for me is to watch that whole process from beginning to end and to watch it over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I just turned 53 last week. Happy birthday. And so for 43 years, I have seen this process, you know, which is crazy to me because I still feel 25. But anyway, <laughs> you know, um, it just uh, it never gets old. The process never gets old to me. The first day, the the first day a kid comes in and earns his white belt, it's the same joy every time. 
or the kid walks in and they're a little shy and the instructor comes up and says, hi, how are you? You know, and they get out there and they start doing stuff. That's magic every day. It's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you for listening to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Find episodes and more at rippleeffectmartialarts.com.